Amazing. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hi, how are you doing? Do you listen for the answer? So before I get into this morning's passage, I want to ask a question. What is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. So what actually is that? Why don't you take a second, turn to the person next to you, and just say, whatever comes to mind, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about? There's no pressure. What is it? Now, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but does someone want to say something about the kingdom of God that they are particularly looking forward to? Anyone want to say something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven they're particularly looking forward to in its fullness? Glory, yeah? Come on. Glory. In the presence of God, his glory all around us, something so majestic and awe-inspiring. Amazing. Anything else? Knowing God, seeing him fully, face to face, right? It says when we see him, we're transformed into him, his image, one degree of glory to the next, and all this stuff we know we experience to a degree now, but it's in its fullness as we receive the fullness of the kingdom. Anything else? Who's looking forward to no more tears? Anyone? No more pain? No more hurt? No more sickness? No more disease? No more poverty? Who's really looking forward to this stuff? Okay, two hands up if you're actually a bit desperate for this stuff. Oh, we really need it, right? We really, really need it. We're really desperate for it. I love this passage, and this morning as we go into this passage, I just want to put us in the shoes of those people who welcomed in Jesus. Let's start by reading it together. So it's Luke chapter 19 from verse 28 through to verse 40. So the, the triumphal entry. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead. This is Jesus, sorry, I should say. Going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near, near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. I'm smiling while I read that because I just find it incredibly funny. Uh, and I do wonder if I could just go and get a car. And when they're asked, why are you taking this car? I can say the Lord has need of it. I'm not, I'm not sure that applies universally. So please, don't, I'm not, I don't want to take scripture out of context, but I just found it funny. Um, and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, take my donkey. Um, so verse uh, 35 and they brought it to Jesus and thrown their cloaks on the colt. They sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he, was, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, like that and louder, um, but obviously not amplified, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
And some of the Pharisees in the, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Lord, would you bring this passage to life for each of us this morning? Father, we have heard so many sermons on this passage, but Lord, would you do something in our hearts today which causes a transformation? I really want to share something with you today that I feel God's been slowly kind of building a picture of in my heart, but I I think it's more more than just that, a a sense of what's going on in the world around us at this time, um, where the king and his kingdom are are being revealed in greater and greater measure to to people throughout the world. Um, But first, let me just pull apart this passage a bit. So how many preachers have you heard on Palm Sunday? Let's, everyone hands up. One preach on Palm Sunday. Keep your hand up until... Five preachers on Palm Sunday, 10 preachers on Palm Sunday, 30 preachers on Palm Sunday, 40 preachers on Palm Sunday. I'm going to stop there. We've all heard a lot of preachers on Palm Sunday. Can I encourage you this morning? Say, Lord, would you teach me afresh from this passage? Can you say that? Lord, teach me afresh from this passage. So why were the Jews gathering in Jerusalem at this point in time? Who can tell me? Passover, amazing. And what is Passover the celebration of? Egypt. Perfect, that'll do you, Liz. The deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, okay? They, they, their angel of death came through, it's the last plague, comes through Egypt, and, and the Jews were instructed to, to uh, paint on the lintels of the door with the blood of the lamb, and if they did that, then they would be passed over from death. And it's this, this thing that they came together every single year to, to celebrate that, to celebrate this, um, their redemption from death, but also from slavery, slavery in Egypt. And it's an amazing time for Christ then to be the sacrificial lamb who causes death to be passed over of his people and releases them from spiritual death, death to sin. Isn't that, it's quite poetic, isn't it? Who knew? God's quite good at that sort of stuff. So the Jews were gathering in Jerusalem. It's estimated that there was about 20 to 40,000 Jews living in Jerusalem at that time. And they were overlooked by a big fortress that was next to the temple called Antonia Fortress. And, and all the... Um, Uh, All the Roman garrison at that time, which was about 600 soldiers, uh, was stationed in there overlooking the whole of Jerusalem, making sure they kept in line. And so Passover must have been a really uncomfortable reminder to them that whilst they were freed from bondage to Egypt, now in their very own home city, they are overlooked and oppressed by heathen Roman invaders. It must have been a bit conflicting to celebrate Passover. But this Passover is different, very different. Because news has spread of a man who is accomplishing wondrous works, a teacher, not just a teacher, but a teacher from the line of David, who speaks of God's coming kingdom, and that it is at hand, it's close, it's within reach. Perhaps it is him. Perhaps it is the Messiah. See, the Jewish concept at that time of the Messiah was like an anointed king who was charismatically endowed to, uh, as a, a descendant of David as well to um, be raised up by God to break the yoke of Roman oppression and to reestablish the homeland of the Jews and to call back in all the other Jews from exile around the world. That's what their idea of a Messiah was, this kind of military commander 
slash freedom fighter. Think William Wallace, if, if you will. I think in that moment, the Jews of Jerusalem would have been saying, this is it, right? This is the time. The kingdom that we're crying out for, the kingdom we're desperate for after so many years of Roman rule is coming because this guy is coming here. And they were excited, right? Can we imagine them excited? So the excitement grows and the city of Jerusalem starts bubbling. You see, no one really has the guts to take this guy on. The Pharisees are pulling away, the Romans are pulling away. No one really wants to touch him. And he's on his way. And they say during festivals, um, and particularly the Passover, the population of Jerusalem would have swelled to about 250,000 people as all the pilgrims come in. So you have 250,000 Jews versus 600 Romans. That's the odds of 400 to 1, which you'd like to think they fancied. This was a time they were planning to overthrow the Romans and build the new kingdom. So their dreams start to turn to a free Jerusalem. No Roman laws, no Roman taxes, prosperity, healing, God's blessing. This is our time. Our kingdom is finally here. And as Jesus came down the road towards Jerusalem, the, the people rose to meet their Savior. It says that a massive crowd in John's gospel comes out of Jerusalem to meet him. And at the same time, all of his disciples, not just the 12, but this, this group that's been gathered and gathered, and certainly loads from Bethany who would have seen the miracle uh, uh, of Lazarus being raised, they follow Jesus. So there's a big crowd coming towards him, a big crowd behind him. And, and this, this expectation amongst them for, for their kingdom, their Jewish kingdom to be manifest was growing. Now, he was riding on a donkey, which was a little bit odd. Because kings who ride donkeys are usually coming in peace. But maybe there was an issue with the reservation, something like that. You don't know. So they shout, Hosanna, which means save now. And they wave the palm branches, which is like a symbol of victory. And they put their cloaks down before him as a symbol of fealty. You are our king. This is it. The Messiah is coming. It's going to kick off in Jerusalem. This is it. This is our kingdom and it's coming now. So can you imagine the disappointment that happens over the next couple of days for all those people who went out to greet their victorious military commander? Can you imagine their disappointment that he didn't bring their kingdom? That instead of driving the Romans out the fortress, he drove the money changers out of the temple. That instead of cursing the unbelievers, he cursed a fig tree. That instead of taking up his throne in Jerusalem, he was enthroned on the praises of Bethany. That every night he went back there instead of staying in Jerusalem. He's not what they expected. This isn't the kingdom we were hoping for. So as he's placed before that very same crowd, but this time by Pilate, though judged as innocent, the crowd suddenly turned from Hosanna to crucify him. How despondent must you have to be to release a murderer just to spite an innocent man because they didn't do what you wanted them to do. Within five days, those who shouted, save us, shouted, crucify him. They shouted, save yourself. 
You see, where the crowds determined that Jesus would put the Romans to death, Jesus said, no, I'm the one who's going to die. But not only that, he said, and once I've died, then I want all of you to die to yourself. I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. See, where the crowd imagined this victorious Jewish kingdom, Jesus says, my kingdom actually isn't of this world. It's for the peacemakers. It's for the pure. It's for the meek. I often read narratives like this in the Bible and think, oh, how could they be so silly? How could they not see it? How could they think this was about them or their way of doing things? And in that, I kind of dread the idea that I would act so selfishly myself, you know. But knowing the state of my heart, how often is it my desire that Jesus would fulfill my kingdom before I'm prepared to attend to his kingdom? How often have I grown despondent with God's plan and got tired and, and lost faith in it because it's taken more time than I expected? How often have I turned to other comforts because the love of God just feels a bit too distant and difficult to attain tonight? How often uh, have I reserved forgiveness from someone and condemned them to judgment because the judgment of Christ seems a bit too far away? How often do I desire abundant life, yet I'm unwilling to pick up my cross and be crucified with Christ? And I'm not saying the kingdom is all suffering and bad things. I'm not saying any of that. But you can't pick and choose. Paul says if you want to share in his glory, you also have to share in his suffering. If you want to be raised to new life with him, you also have to choose death with him. And you see, this crowd, they only wanted one thing. And they weren't willing to do it his way. See, too many of us grow despondent in our faith and drift away from God because it was all about us and our wants, and our rights, and our kingdom. So whilst my head on this matter feels really clear, as I'm sure with many of you, you know, I know I'm a disciple of Christ. So often I know actually my heart yearns for the things of my kingdom before his. I think that's a very human thing. So if you, uh, if you relate to what I'm saying at all, I'm not here to put you on blast. It's a very human thing. But I suppose if, if our praise of God, if our obedience to him is, is rooted in what we want him to do rather than what he's done, then we're building for ourselves a puppet king, not the king of kings. And as soon as he doesn't do it, suddenly life gets really tricky. So here's my challenge from this bit. Don't grow tired of, of asking yourself, am I seeking his kingdom or my kingdom? Because one will forever be dissatisfied and one will forever be fulfilled. Which one do you feel the most? And just in this place I've brought us to today, where it might sound a little bit hard and a bit challenging, hopefully a bit convicting, the most beautiful thing is in the brokenness of our humanity and in the selfishness of our hearts, the very things that that crowd cried out for. Save us. Crucify him. And the very things that actually Christ chose to do. 
And in his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Christ handed over the keys of his kingdom to us. Why don't we just take a second? Can you just close your eyes with me? I just want you to imagine this. Knowing yourself, knowing where you're strong and where you're weak, where you get it right and where you get it wrong. Christ has given the keys of his kingdom to you. He has entrusted this most perfect, precious thing to you. And he doesn't give it in vain. And he doesn't make mistakes. And he isn't worried about it or worried about you. He willingly and freely gives it to you and he believes in you. You know God really believes in you. I know Jesus calls us to believe in him, but do you know he believes in you? Do you know he believes in Peter when Peter denied him, when Peter told him not to go to the cross? Do you know he believed in Paul when Paul was still murdering Christians? God believes in you, and he's given his kingdom to you. He entrusted something so profoundly transformational, God's mysterious plan of salvation to us, to his people. He trusted the the gospel, this this incredible truth that changes lives, that releases the prisoners, which which transforms situations and, and brings in this incredible hope. He entrusted it to us. This is the kingdom that the crowd in Jerusalem, so desperately needed. Not the kingdom they wanted. But a kingdom where the weak become strong. Where the poor become rich. Where the broken are healed. Where the hurting are loved and where the sinner is saved. It's a kingdom of the supernatural and of the impossible. A kingdom where rocks cry out and donkeys speak and it's been given to you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, God has given the kingdom to you. Why don't you add that now and say, hey, he really trusts you with it as well. Let's go one more. God really believes in you. God really believes that the answer to the brokenness around you is the kingdom that he's placed inside of you. There's this verse in Romans... um, Eight, which I love. Um, it says that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's you, by the way. Just for... That the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We have the best news. We have the gospel of liberty. And if we stay silent, the very rocks will cry out. But no doubt, as we speak up, things will change. As we share his kingdom, things will change. As we pray for people, king, uh, things will change. As we share the gospel, lives will be transformed. As we share the gospel, disciples will be made. We have been given something so precious. And he's saying, use it. Use it, guys. 
Take a hold of it, it's yours. Now go and use it. And no doubt, as we speak up, the Pharisees of the church and of the community will try and silence us. No doubt, as we speak of a hope center and of a community transformed, we're going to get maligned. No doubt someone's going to say, you guys are crazy and that's not possible. But what better company to keep than with our Savior who himself was maligned, who himself was ridiculed. I really have a sense that God is on the move throughout the earth. But I really have a sense in that that God is on the move in this church. I really have a sense that there's a a kingdom which we have prayed for and we have yearned for, not for our own sakes, but for his glory. There, There is a king that we have enthroned in this place and he is wanting to be revealed. He is wanting to be shared. He's wanting to be manifest outside of these church walls. And he is entrusting it to you, to me, to us to do it. All those things that we've just said at the beginning that we're desperate for, the healing, the restoration, the hope, the glory, all those things, I believe they're being poured out in greater measure in this time. And it's for us to be bold and to be brave and say, yes, God, use us. God's church is the vehicle which he chooses to reveal his kingdom to the earth. I really want to pray this morning. It's interesting where Heather led us to in, in the MC, but that I really get this sense, and it's a sense we had right at the beginning of the year, that there's, God is wanting to commission us as his church, commission us afresh, commission us for his mission. Commission means like to join in his mission, right? So he's wanting to commission us afresh. He's wanting to, to, to remind us of the keys he has given us, the keys to his kingdom and say, okay, let's go unlock some doors. You know your neighbor who's broken, who's struggling? Let's go and unlock some doors in their life. You know the, the, the people in the community who are at the food bank every week? Let's go and unlock some doors in their life. Let's open up this kingdom all around us and see it transform lives. But not just that. You know those places in your heart. Let's go and unlock some liberty, some freedom. Would you stand with me? I just want to share a story. Um, Who joined us last Sunday night for our encounter night? If you want to stick your hand in the air. There was about 50 of us or so. Um, Can I have a general like, did you enjoy it? <laughs> I, um, I went along to it. Do you know what? Sometimes uh, I have my work head switched on and I have to dial that down um, because I'm thinking about lots of things. And, and on Sunday night, I came absolutely desperate for God. I just came desperate. I'd had a, a hard couple of weeks just in my own heart and recognizing places God still needs to heal me of stuff I've been through. And, and I was just like, oh, Lord, I need you so much. And, and I went to that service and I just came with this thing of like, God, I need you to change me. I need you to change me. I need you to come and break in and do something in my heart in this moment. And for me, like it was just a sense of being unloaded, like this 
burden lifted off me and given to him and, and the release that that brought was really tangible, really powerful. It was so important for me and I really want to encourage you. This kingdom is, is manifest in us so it can be manifest through us. The healing we want to see is the healing we want to receive as well and, and it starts in us and through us.